Good morning, Seacoast Church. Merry Christmas. Are you awake? You alive? You love Jesus? Where you at? I love that song our teams just sung. Wasn't that awesome? Do you hear what I hear? Hey, tell your neighbor what's your favorite version of that song. Is it Destiny's Child? Is it Carrie Underwood? Seacoast Worship? Uh, Y'all love Bing Crosby's version, don't you? Yeah, that, that one's legendary. Morning. So glad that you're joining us for church today. This is week two in our series, Christmas at Seacoast, where as a church, we are getting our hearts ready for the gift that is under the tree, the gift of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, coming to earth, wrapped in flesh, dwelling in a manger, dwelling among us. That is the hope of the Christmas season, and the song we just got to hear, Do You Hear What I Hear, has got an interesting origin. My name is Joel Delph. By the way, I'm the one of the pastors here, and I'm so thrilled that I had the opportunity of a lifetime to share God's Word. I'm full. This could take an hour, but I'm trying to stuff it into 30 minutes, so we'll see how God goes today. Do You Hear What I Hear? Noel Regney is the writer of that song. And Noel Regney was asked to write that song in 1962 when the world was in a bit of a tension. Missile Depot was found in Cuba, just 90 miles south of our borders, and they had the potential of carrying intercontinental ballistic missiles. And that season of life was known as the Cuban Missile Crisis. A time where kids in school all around the country would have these nuclear drills, get under your, your desk, like that's going to do something. But the, the whole country was facing the brink of another war. We had just come out of World War II, and Noel Regney was asked to write a Christmas song, and Noel knows what war feels like. A native Frenchman, he grew up in France, and when he was in high school, Germany invaded his nation. He was actually forced to join the German army, ended up deserting that and joining the French resistance, eventually coming to America. And then when he realized that his homeland, United States, was on the brink of war, and he was asked to write this Christmas jingle in it, he wrote a plea for peace. Do you need more peace in your life? I think that's one of those things that we all could use more of. It's kind of like, do you want this check for $10,000? It's always the right time to give someone a check, you know? Always the right time. And I think we all could say in our life that we could use more peace. When we look at our life, we need more peace. When we look at our world, we, we need more peace. And that is the hope of Christmas, that the Prince of Peace came to dwell among us. And so if you haven't started yet participating in this season of Advent, I want to encourage you to do that. Advent is a period between December 3rd and December 24th, where as Christians around the world, we prepare our hearts to celebrate the gift on Christmas morning. And so we've got a devotional here at the church, and you can download that. You go to seacoast.org slash Advent, get caught up there. My family every night, we're reading a uh, Advent devotional, and it's so encouraging, and it's helpful to remind ourselves why Jesus came. And here are two reasons why Advent's important. One, it 
reminds us of the gift of the gospel. We can forget about the gift of the gospel because we're living in it every day. And I believe that Advent can renew our appreciation of the gospel. Second thing is this. It reminds us of our BC days. You know your days before Christ? The days you try to forget? I was talking to a friend of mine, Scott and Joy. We were having lunch, and they've been walking with Christ for over 40 years. That's some time. And I asked Scott, I said, hey, what were you like before Jesus? And the only thing I know about Scott is he's happy, he's hopeful, he knows the word of God, he's steadfast. And he said, man, before Jesus, I would swing first and ask questions later. I had the shortest temper. I was always angry. I lived a life of frustration. And then when I was 17, a friend of mine invited me to church. And I went to church. I heard the gospel. I gave my life to Christ that day. I knew I needed it. That Friday, his parents sat him down. I said, hey, we noticed there's something different with you this week. You've been smiling around this house. You've been saying please and thank you. You've been respectful. You didn't yell at your brother and sister like you normally did. What happened? His parents said, we've been calling our friends, and we know that the kids are doing the drugs nowadays. Are you on the drugs? And he said, no, Ma, I didn't go to Mass last Sunday. I actually went with my friend to church, and I gave my life to Jesus, and I think it's changing me. Do you mind if I go back to church? And his parents were like, hey, you need to go every single day we got to be reminded of our BC days. And even in a real context, the world didn't always have the gift of Jesus. And the gift of Jesus means that we have the gift of peace available to us at any single moment of any single day. Peace doesn't mean that our problems go away, but peace gives us context to have this reassurance that God is for us even in the middle of the storm. And so I want to give you a definition of peace. And don't write it down, but just look at it because it's a picture. And so take a look at this picture of my daughters uh, on this rock climbing wall. So my daughters are the brown ones, in case you wouldn't figure that out. Uh, the right and the left. Uh, and uh, Lexi's been up on a rock climbing wall a few times, but the one who's trying to look like Spider-Woman it's her first time on a rock climbing wall. And the first time she got harnessed in, she just flew up the wall like she was born on a mountain. And then she starts doing all these tricks. And when we got in the car, I was like, babe, why weren't you nervous? She's like, nervous? I, I, I was on the rope. I was connected to the rope. And what if the peace of God was like that for you in your life? That you were tethered to a rope that was anchored in the throne room of heaven, that your rope of hope, of peace, of joy, of love was tethered to this reassuring knowledge that my God is for me. He walks with me in the highs and lows of life. I wish you were awake enough this morning to celebrate a God that is good. Even when times are hard, even when times are hopeless, he is your peace. My mom walked this out so well. Growing up, my mom had heart issues. She, she moved to America in 1978 to have her first open heart surgery, was in and out of the hospital my whole life. But I always knew when my mom was at the hospital, it wasn't like 
a normal hospital stay. It was two, three, four weeks. But my mom was so focused on caring for people, even when she was in the hospital, it always made me a little uncomfortable. Because when a nurse would walk in, she'd be like, hello, how are you today? And she's hurt. She's in pain. And she'd be talking. And then she's like, hey, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I'm like, man, mom, that's a little direct. And, and before she died in March of 2014, she was in the hospital for 28 days. I was a pastor in Charlotte, and different people from the church would come and visit. And it was amazing to me to see the work that God was doing in my mom the last month before she passed away. I'd walk in to see my mom, and some girl would be in the corner from the church just bawling, telling her testimony about stuff she hadn't told anyone before. I'm like, why is this a confessional and my mom is sick? I walked in one day, and this couple was walking out, and they were bawling. I was like, what happened? What did my mom do? She said that we need to stop living in sin and playing house and need to get married. I think we're going to get married. <laughs> that's not for you. That's for someone else. Uh, and, and I love the fact that even though my mom was dying, her purpose never left her because her peace came from something that wasn't connected to what was going on in her body or her circumstances around her. It came from her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You should be taking notes right now. God is moving. And so I wanted to go to Isaiah chapter 9, if you have your Bibles with you. And we'll start there because one of the things that gives me so much hope in the Advent season is that the promise of peace came hundreds upon hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. And Isaiah prophesied about the birth of a Savior over 700 years before Jesus came to old little town of Bethlehem. But before we go to the Word of God, could we pray for peace today? Would you mind standing? Come on, North Charleston. I know you're standing already. Come on, Conway. Stand with me. Will you grab the hand of that stranger next to you or someone you may know or like or love? You should interlock fingers with Mike right now. That'd be real awkward. And I'll make the prayer about 10 minutes long. Hey, let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much that your peace rests on your people. We thank you, Lord God, that your peace isn't connected to our performance, what we're capable of doing, how good we've been living, but your peace comes from a person that is Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord God, that every single day we live on this earth, we have access to your peace. It's here. I pray, Lord God, that in every situation, every high and low of our lives, you will be our anchor. We are tethered to the throne room of heaven through your peace. Be here now. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen, amen. Woo. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. The people walking in darkness, verse 2, have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Isaiah is describing the atmosphere by which the peace of God is coming to the earth through the form of Jesus. And listen to the imagery that he's displaying here. A light has dawned. Have you ever been on the beach right before daybreak? That moment when it shifts over from darkness to 
light. That's what happens when Jesus comes into our life. That's what happened when Jesus came into the world. Everything changed. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at harvest. Imagine being a farmer and you sow and you water and you wait. You can't control it, but you wait and you wait and you wait and you see progress, but you wait. And at the right time, you reap what you have sown and think about the joy of all those months of hard work bringing fruit at your dinner table. As warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder, think about what it feels like to win a war. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. This is intense. What's he saying here? For as in the day of Midian's defeat, for the reader, they would have clued in, like if I said, for as in the day of our Independence Day, July 4th. For every American, once you say that, what you, what you think about? America beat the world's superpower and we became our own nation. For as in the day of Midian's defeat harkens back to Judges chapter 8 and 9, where God saw the plight of the Israelites and the plight was this. They were sowing, they were watering, they were waiting. And when it came time for harvest, the Midianites would come in, steal their harvest, beat them up, and wait for the next season. And that happened year after year after year. And then God said, I need to do something. So he sent an angel to a man by the name of Gideon. Gideon wasn't the biggest, strongest dude. He was the youngest son of the smallest tribe, and God said, you are a mighty warrior. And he raised them up to fight against the Midianites, but not in the way that you or I would have fought the battle with thousands of warriors by his side. God whittled down the armies of Israel to just 300 dudes. 300 dudes. 300 Spartans to fight the Midianites. They weren't actually Spartans. That was a little joke. It didn't, didn't land. I'm sorry. I take it back. Retract it. <laughs> Wasn't funny. I'm sorry. 300 dudes to fight the Midianites. And so when he says, as in the day of Midian's defeat, what he's saying is, in the midst of insurmountable odds, God knew the right people to send at the right time to bring freedom. And that's just like what our Savior does for us. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. What does that mean? Uh, where does a commanding general wear their rank? On their shoulders. All authority and power has been given to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what that's saying. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful counselor. Who needs a counselor in their life? Who needs a wonderful counselor in their life? Who needs a counselor that actually has the perspective that you can never get on this earth? Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. He's never going to leave you. 
He's never going to forsake you. He's always walking with you and guiding you like a loving dad would. Prince of peace. God is peace. And Jesus Christ himself is his prince. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Can't stop, won't stop. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I love this passage of scripture from Isaiah chapter 9 because it reminds me that the peace of God was promised and predicted years ago, and he is my wonderful counselor, Prince of peace. Although that's true, I don't always feel that way. And if I'm honest with you, there are a lot of times in my life where I feel unseen by God. I feel like I don't have what it takes with the problems that come my way. I wonder if he's with me. And so I just want to encourage you with a few promises that I'm clinging to this Advent season that you could cling to as well because it comes from his word. And so the first one is this, is whenever I feel unseen by God, I remind myself of this promise. His peace is a personal promise to you. When Jesus came to the earth, he didn't come for a faceless mob. He had your name written in his mouth, on his mind, and said, man, I'm coming. Dale. I see him. I'm coming for him. He needs it. I'm on the way. He had you in mind when he came to this earth. Hear the word of the Lord uh, from Luke. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. God's promise of freedom was so personal that in this guy's quiet times, God made a side deal with him. You ain't dying until you hold Jesus. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And just at that time, as he's saying this out loud, this other lady walks up. She's a prophet, and her name is Anna. She's the daughter of Penuel, the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. His peace is a personal 
promise for you. Jesus has you in mind, and he wants to offer you the gift of his peace. And even when you don't feel it, it's still there. He's got peace on reserve for you. You know what my favorite thing to do is at lunchtime? Order ahead at Chick-fil-A and like, like do the deliver, like walk in, pick up, and see all them chumps like standing in line outside the right around the window. Like, uh-uh, uh-uh. I got my food right here and it's got my name on there. And I and I walk in that that restaurant with confidence. No matter how many suburbans are wrapped around the building, I know my food's waiting for me. And so his peace is like a personal reservation on tap for you. I was feeling unseen by God a few years ago. Uh, we took an opportunity, we moved, and I found myself in a new city, in a new house, and a new job, and my first Sunday in a new church. Now I was nervous, and I felt so unseen. The worship was incredible at this church. Everyone's hands were up. They were going in. But I felt like everyone was experiencing something but me. Don't nod. Don't say yes. Have you ever felt that way in church? You felt that everyone was experiencing something but you? And I remember that Sunday saying, God, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? How, how did I even get here? And I started like crying out. People thought I was singing. I was just yelling at God. And the craziest thing happened five minutes later. The pastor gets up. There's tons of people in the room. And he goes, I don't know. I was praying. And as I was worshiping, God told me that there's someone in the room today. You're asking yourself the question, what am I doing here? And then the next hour, I felt like there was no one else in the room, and God used that man to preach a specific sermon for me. And the Holy Spirit will do that every single day if you allow him to preach a custom-fitted word of hope and peace in your life. Second thing I cling to when I feel like I don't have enough, it don't add up, is this. His peace gives me provision. His peace gives me provision. Our walk with Christ is supposed to affect our day-to-day -day activities. Our walk with Christ helps us solve problems in the real world. It's not a parallel world, my spirituality over here, and then what's actually going on in my life. God wants to intersect where you're actually struggling. So Jesus said it this way. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all those things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so it's so reassuring for me to know that God's got it, even when I don't. Even when it doesn't add up from my perspective that my God is my provider. And so many times in this world, we put pressure on the wrong places for provision. 
We put pressure on our spouses or the new business opportunity or our crazy boss. And, and before you know it, like we, my boss isn't crazy, by the way. I love my boss. Hey, hey, he's anointed. He's a great man of God. I'm not getting fired today. Like we put pressure in all these places other than throwing it up into heaven and saying, God, I need you to provide. I need you to sustain me. And walking in the fact that God is my provision gives me peace. Third promise I'm clinging to in this season. His peace makes me a conduit of blessing. Because when the peace of God comes to you, it's not just for you. It's supposed to be dispensed to the world around you. Do you ever find yourself like, running up to people that you know walk in peace? Is there a coworker whose office you find yourself lingering around because like, man, there's something about them. There's a, there's a peace that they have. And what if as Christians, we could be known as people of peace? What if we could be known as people who carry the presence of God and we have this open posture that says, come on in. I got something for you. It's crazy to me, side note, rabbit trail, I know. It's crazy to me that Halloween is more of a communal holiday than Christmas is. Maybe this Christmas season, you open your doors and open your hearts and let people in because you are called to be a conduit of blessing. When you realize that all the blessings that God has given you is not just for you, but it's how he can do something through you, it's one of the most rewarding things. And we see this with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, he encounters Jesus and he surrenders his heart and life to God. And when Jesus came to his house, he said this, look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. His love of Jesus unlocked generosity because he had surrendered it all. This Sunday is Legacy Offering Weekend. We've been talking about legacy for years here at Seacoast. And legacy is just our way of communicating what we believe the vision of the house is, where we believe God is working in real and practical ways, whether that's global missions or our campus projects or how we're investing into the next generation. And we've shared these things with you. If you want to learn more, you can go to seacoast.org slash legacy. And I would encourage you to find a way to take a step to be a conduit of blessing. But Joel, inflation is crazy and the economy is bad. Why are you going to ask us to give right now in this season? You know, I was thinking the other day, let's find it. Most of the world we know lives off of this. If you had to explain to most of the world why you aren't more like Bill Gates than them, they would be very confused. They would be very confused at how blessed you are, and we don't even define ourselves as blessed. What if we all could play a part in changing the world through the gospel of Jesus? And the cool thing about generosity is God never calls us to give something we don't have. 
Like, it's what we do have we give. And so for some of us, that may be starting with trusting God in the area of our finances with the tithe, the first 10% of all we've been given. For some of us, we're like, man, I want to I wanna give to global missions because i got a heart for that. I've learned in my life that there's no such thing as a future philanthropist. Oh, if I got $10 million, I'd give more. No, you wouldn't. No, you would not. Because it's what you do with your money today that develops the muscle with what you'll do with it in future. And so I just want to encourage you to start somewhere, play a part somewhere, and watch God use you. Because the peace of God always falls on me when I'm a conduit of blessing. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a conduit. I'm a conduit. Not very, not very catchy, is it? Yeah. I'll work on that. Last one is this. His peace is a gift of surrender. His peace is a gift of surrender. When we think about the word surrender, we think about what we lose, what we give up. But in the economy of God, when we surrender to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we gain everything. It's the only act of surrender that actually blesses us more. This week, something pretty special happened in my life, in my family's life, and I hope you'll celebrate as much as I want to celebrate. This past Wednesday, my five-year-old, Joel David Leon Delft, at like nine o'clock at night, gave his heart to Jesus Christ. Um, and it happened in a way that had to happen just for him. I wasn't in the room. He was hanging out with his mom. They were getting ready for bed. And he started asking questions about faith and said, I want to be a Christian. And what's amazing to me is when I would list my priorities, if you woke me up on Wednesday morning and said, hey, what are the biggest prayer requests in your life? I probably wouldn't have put that up on, I want the salvation of my kids more than anything right now today. It's a priority for me, but my focus that day was worried about bills or uh, work or meetings. But God knows the actual priority of my life because I've surrendered it over to him. And in the right time, he gives me what I need for the struggle that's in my day. And it was such a great blessing to know that he answered the prayers we prayed when he was born. And my prayer for you is that you will trust God that his timing is perfect in everything. You remember Elizabeth? She was old. Elizabeth, the cousin of Mary. She was old. She was barren for many years. And then all of a sudden, when she thought it was past her time, she became pregnant with John. It wasn't past her time. Her pregnancy was just connected to Mary. When she wanted to be pregnant, Mary wasn't even born yet. And God said, I got purpose for your son. You got to wait a little while longer. And oftentimes, God's timing isn't just connected to your needs, but it's connected to the needs of the world all around us. Peace is a gift of our surrender of knowing that his ways are higher. His ways are better. He is greater. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and a bad Negro? Remember those guys? Don't tell your friends that joke. Remember, they were getting ready to, to walk in the fiery furnace. Their life was about to be ended because the legal policies of the land said you couldn't, like, survive if you didn't kneel before the pagan god. 
Remember that? And they said, man, we're not going to kneel. Our God has the ability to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we aren't going to kneel. So they throw them in the fiery furnace, and they start counting Shadrach, Meshach. Well, he came in toasty, right? A bad Negro. And he goes, three. But there's a fourth guy. There's a fourth one. There's another in the fire. And he looks like the son of the gods. What happened? Jesus walked with them in the middle of the fiery furnace. And you know what? Our God wants to walk with us in that same way as well. And so I can't talk about peace without offering it to you. The gift of this whole thing we call faith rests on the life of Jesus Christ, his virgin birth, his sinless life, his ability to to go on a cross and die a death we should have died. And three days later, he actually conquered the grave so we all could be free. If you want freedom found in the name of Jesus, I want to lead you in a simple prayer to do that. For the benefit of those who are coming to God in this moment, we're going to say this prayer out loud together. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says this, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Man, that is the hope of the gospel. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Some of us in the room today, You say you walk with Christ, but you've been living in two worlds. You've been trying to tether yourself to the throne room of heaven, but you've also been putting in bets on the side and tethering yourself to the ways of this world. Maybe today is the day where you cut everything else out and say, I am trusting in Christ and in him alone. Let's say this prayer together. Dear Jesus, I come to you, a sinner in need of a savior, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Today, I surrender my sin and receive your freedom, receive your hope, receive your peace. Jesus, we pray, amen.